Hi guys, thanks so much for tuning in today. Today's guest is off the charts. I've been wanting her to come on for so long. She means a lot to me and she's gonna give back so much to you. Nancy Pimentel, executive producer. She was a Massachusetts native, so am I. Graduated from Worcester Polytech Institute with a degree in chemical engineering and studied classical acting at a theater conservatory in Boston. Then moving to Los Angeles, she performed stand-up and improv uh, and was hired as a writer for Comedy Central's animated hit South Park. And I'm going to let her tell you that story and how that happened. And she sold her first screenplay to Columbia Studios, a romantic comedy which starred Cameron Diaz. I'm sure you all saw it, um, which we'll talk about in this interview. And she's also written uh, pilots for Warren Littlefield for NBC and Fox starring Jenny McCarthy. She's been on Shameless for over 10 years. Please help us welcome Nancy Pimentel. Pop yourself on. Whoop, she came and she left. That was amazing. Hi! <laughs> That's so amazing. So amazing. I sound so amazing. I think you are so amazing or else you wouldn't be here. But I'm so happy you're here because you know what? The actors out there and the actors slash writers, you've covered it all. You've covered the gamut and you started way not even in the artist, you know, industry. So tell us your story a little bit. Oh my goodness. Well, it all began. With <laughs> um, well, I had, I always was an actress when I was a little kid. Uh, the first play that I got cast in, I was at summer camp and it was an all girls summer camp. And we were doing Sleeping Beauty, but because it was an all girls summer camp, the girls had to play the boy part. So I was Prince Charming. I love it. And that gave me the acting bug. And then I proceeded to play the shoemaker's wife in the third <laughs> And it just, you know, it just skyrocketed out. But, 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 right. But you majored in something totally different. Yes. So I always want, I remember I was sitting in my guidance. So junior year, when you have to start thinking about colleges, I remember sitting in my guidance counselor's office and my mother was there and my guidance counselor. And I was in the top 10 of my high school uh, class and I was number seven, if anyone's interested. <laughs> I, uh, I remember saying, you know, they're kind of going over like, what do you want to do? Where should we apply to schools? And I was like, I want to be an actress and I want to move to Hollywood. And they, it was like crickets, like oh, dead wow. of, like, of disapproval and, and disgust on their faces. Wow. And and I just didn't have the confidence or the, the, the understanding to, f to follow that thing inside of you and let it out. And that no matter how many times you get beaten up, that thing is greater than any external force. I just didn't have that awareness yet. Mm. And so when I said that to my mother and my guidance counselor, Mr. Bearer, by the way, was his name. Miss the Barra is my boss. <laughs> um, they looked at me like I was an alien. And so then I quickly retreated back, pedal, back, pedal, back, pedal. And I Confidence said- Confidence is everything. Huh? Confidence is everything. Yeah. Uh, and I said, 
or I could go to engineering school and they lit up and they were all excited and they're pulling out school brochures. And I was like, well, I guess I gave them the right answer. Wow. I just followed the path of engineering that everybody seemed to want me to be on. And even I remember being, so I went to a school called Worcester Polytechnic Institute in Worcester, Massachusetts. And I remember even there, uh, just not, I mean, there was a lot that I gained from it. And I have to say being there, actually, I got, that's where I got my confidence. Well, and that's, that's what college, college is for confidence. A hundred percent. Yeah. Sharing sure. this, come a little bit closer because the echo, and I want people to grab on it, hear every word you say. Yes. Talk to us close up. Those beautiful eyes. That's what we want. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. College definitely for me was for about confidence. It was about a social life. It was about discovering who I was. Yeah. So, I mean, the engineering part was, it was what it was. I, I was not interested, but yeah, because. You people pleased and you did that. Huh? You people pleased and then you did that. Yeah. 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 Got to have confidence, guys. Go for your dreams. 100% point of that story because when you do that, you're going to go back to what you really want. So what happened? You came to Los Angeles and you went into stand-up? That's pretty gutsy. Well, well I first started doing, I, I did improv and sketch comedy. Mm. And I was doing this, I was in an improv group at the comedy store and we were upstairs and I would pop downstairs and I would see the stand-up comedians. And I, I just thought, oh, I could do this. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Uh, So I didn't, uh, I, yeah, I would pop in because at the comedy store on Sunset Boulevard, it, it has three different rooms. So we would be in one room doing improv comedy and then I would pop into the other rooms and I would watch the stand-ups. And so, uh, I, thought I could try this I could do this and so I started doing stand-up at the comedy store which is probably one of the scariest places to do comedy Um, one million percent I did it yes it's a dark 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 place it's like you need a buddy to do stand-up like I when I did it I'm just going to interject this but I did it for a short time and I had Everyone was always laughing, but I literally had to have a kamikaze and I'm basically allergic to alcohol. I can't even drink. I hate it, but I would, it's such a nerve wracking thing. So I have so much praise for everybody out there that gets up there and does stand up. It's huge. Well, and you know, one of the lessons that I learned doing it, and it was the absolute best thing on the planet was, I I can't remember who told it to me, but I bombed, 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 bombed. And I remember being really, really upset. And some older seasoned comic, honestly, I wish I could remember because I think it would be a better story because I feel like it was somebody with like a, you know, with a name recognition. They said to me, fear of bombing is always this thing out here. And if you never get to it, then you're always going to still be living in the swamp of fear. I'm totally making up the words. I don't think he said it like this, but once you do it and you get past it, then you realize that your fear of it was way greater than the actual 
experience of it and that you everybody once you get past it then you then it makes you actually fearless afterwards because you've confronted the fear you've gone through it you've gotten on the other side you survived you're alive you get back up on stage the next week Uh and it was such a great lesson you know, it's funny that you say it because I'm, I'm listening to the David Spade, Dana Carvey podcast, which I'm obsessed with. And everybody, it's called Flying a Wall if you're tuning into this. It is fascinating to hear them because they have all the successful stand-ups that, that went on to SNL and they all talk about bombing, bombing, bombing. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't, they couldn't have achieved the success that they achieved today. And even when they were at the height, they would go up and perform sometimes and bomb. So it's the belief in yourself and your storytelling and your message that matters most. Cause you know, just like in acting, you, you as an executive producer, sometimes you're going to like the the performance and somebody else will not like the performance. It's all subjective, just like stand up. I'm sorry, I cut you off, but that's what I do. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome, honey. Um, Yeah. And it's, it also becomes, it, you realize it's not the end of the world, right? Like the fear of something, which obviously we can apply to anything in life. The fear of something is far greater than the actuality of it and the reality of it. So, and then it just gives you strength and tenacity for whatever your next endeavor is or, or becomes because uh, just sitting in a, in a writer's room and, and, and being fearless to, throw out ideas and have people, it just land flat on, uh, on the table. And you just, you get, you're like Teflon because you've had these other experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So you went from standup improv to standup to pursuing an acting career. How long were you doing your acting or were you doing it for very long before? I want you to tell everyone the story about how you landed your first writing job on um, South Park. I was, so yes, yeah, so, so, so improv and sketch comedy. And then I was, I was definitely pursuing acting and I was doing like workshops and studying with acting coaches. Uh, I did not know Sherry Shaw back then, unfortunately. Well, I wasn't there doing it back then. And then I was doing, um, doing like small little things like acting jobs like uh commercials uh I would do sketches on Jay Leno he was the host of the Tonight Show kids before Jimmy Fallon yes um I would do uh what other kinds of things I was uh on Days of Our Lives a bunch of times so I but you know it was just kind of piecemeal stuff yes um, a lot of auditions, but, uh, and then I was doing stand-up comedy and I was on the road doing that, which was its own experience. Um, probably a whole nother podcast to talk about. <laughs> and then I would say it was a combination of things. One, people would see me doing stand-up. Like if I was in town, people in the industry, they would call me in they would say, you have something uh, and we wanted to meet you. And maybe if we get a project, we'll call you in for an audition. So I would, I always thought, well, why don't, I'm not going to wait around. Why don't I write my own stuff? And then also being around stand-ups at these various comedy clubs, they, um, 
you would just start seeing people getting jobs as, as writers and then also auditioning and going on, say like an audition for five minutes in the day. And then like, then the day is done. The creative day is done. So I wanted to just keep being creative. So writing is something you can do and like, you don't need permission to do it. You don't need to wait for anybody. You can just write. So I think those three different things simultaneously were pushed me to just pursue writing. And I was writing, uh, uh, spec scripts of like various shows. And what I would do is I would sit there and I still have my old notebooks. I would sit there and I would watch sitcoms. I remember doing this with friends a lot. And I would, I would like just break it down. I would just break down like what's happening. Okay. Scene one, uh, Oh, this happened and this happened. Oh, that must be, I don't know. I just kind of self-taught. I just taught myself somehow I learned and figured it and, out. And you figured, you figured out like the A story, the B story, the C yeah. story, just by watching it over and over. Over and over and writing, writing it in notebooks and like kind of dissecting it and, and feeling the rhythm of it. And so then I would start writing spec scripts of shows. I wrote uh, one of Everybody Loves Raymond and I wrote one of um, Larry Sanders. Oh, those are great shows. Yeah, I thought so too. And I felt like that was my comedy. And then I was on the road doing stand-up and that's when South Park came on the air. And I thought, okay, this is actually my show. This is my voice. This is it. Um, so I wrote a spec script of South Park and I really wanted to get on the show. And everybody I talked to, I remember like being up in Montana and Idaho and doing, um, doing, uh, doing this. I was, doing, <laughs> uh, I was doing stand up and I would call uh, agents down in Los Angeles to see if they wanted to read my script and nobody did. And there was a guy who was up in Portland, Oregon, who was booking me on all these really hateful one nighter uh, comedy. That's another story because the touring of a comic. Yeah. And he said he wanted to represent me like this random comedy booker. And I said, okay, well, why don't you read my South Park spec? And he said, it's not funny. I didn't capture the voice of the show. And if he gave it to Matt and Trey, it would just land in a pile of thousands of others. Like, and, but he still wanted to represent me. And so no one would read it. No one wanted to represent me except for this one guy who hated the script. (laughs) I ended up like long story, truncated, I was doing a bunch of other things at the same time. And, you know, at, at, at that time, I really had the attitude of like, say yes to everything. So I was constantly working on little projects with people. And it was always like, just saying yes, saying yes, saying yes, and everything indirectly. I mean, if we had more time, I could really, I could plot out exactly the steps, the indirect steps that led me to the right person that got my South Park spec to Matt and Trey and this woman, Ann Garofino, who's the executive producer. Um, Wait, I think people want to hear that step-by-step. Can we make it a short version of that step-by-step? Because here's what my question is to interrupt on this is that you got so much rejection, but you believed in that script. I did. I really did. I really felt like I was supposed to write on the show. I really felt like I captured the voice of it. I just felt like I mean, I remember the actual scene I saw in the episode of South Park 
that I knew it was my voice and I knew I was supposed to write on the show. I just knew it. I just knew it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So rejection sent to, how'd you get it to that one person or how'd you get it to Matt and Trey? Besides the belief in yourself, which guys out there that matters most continue. I was waitressing. Yeah. That's another important thing. I know way too many people who are just waiting for their big break and not working and not surviving and not making money. I really do believe the survival job is important to tell the universe that you're willing to make money and work and bust your butt. Yeah. So I was waitressing. We, you know, I'd go on the road, come back, waitress, waitressing. Uh, a guy who was an investor in the in the re- restaurant had a party. And again, I was just saying yes to everything, any party and this, any event. I went to this party at the party. I met a guy who came up to me and said, I'm an animator and you are the live action version of this animated cartoon that I'm drawing. Random. Random. Can I stay in touch with you? I was like, all right. Yeah. Random. Yes. He and his wife would come see my comedy. He would bring me little animated drawings of his work that looked like me. He then had a comedy pitch with this company called Film Roman. Film Roman did The Simpsons and some other things. He had a pitch for the, they did all animation. He had a pitch. He asked me if I would go with him to be the live action version of, as he was pitching. Remember we were- Oh, that's so fascinating. I didn't know this. Go ahead, yeah. I remember we went to the Grove to practice the pitch. And I remember thinking, I've never pitched before, but I knew what he, but I was a performer and I was a comic and I was an actress and I was everything. I knew what he was doing was not right. And I knew it was boring, but he wanted me to go almost as like a prop. I had a broken foot at the time too. So I was in a cab. Like there's so many details. So we, we met at the, at the, at the farmer's market in the Grove to practice. And I was thinking, God, this is, I don't think this is good, but I'm still, yes, 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 yes. So we go to the meeting and he's very, so we go to pitch it to somebody. The person we're pitching it to, his name was David Niles White. He happened to be two coincidences. One, he was originally from Boston I'm from Boston. He worked at a production company at making commercials. I was in a commercial that his production company oh did my God. probably even met at the time. Didn't yeah. remember then. Crazy. He moved out here. He became the executive producer of a show that just got picked up on Comedy Central called South Park. He got fired after like one episode. I can't remember oh. why, but he was now working at this company at film Roman and he, I, so this guy was pitching this show and he was like, and then we go to the store and oh. and I knew that what he was doing was boring. And this guy was like glazing over and the guy, David Niles white t- was turning to me 
to chat with me and say, like, who are you and why are you involved in this? And I was, you know, animated and delightful. And he was so uninterested in this pitch, but he was interested in me. And I said, oh, I'm a stand-up comedian. And I actually wrote a spec script of South Park. And I really am trying to get it to them. And he said, you absolutely should. There, here's the woman. Her name is Ann Garofino. And she's, um, they're looking for writers. And, um, and he ended up calling me afterwards saying, that guy was a dud. I think you're very talented. And he would come to see me do stand-up comedy. Amazing. And he said to me, if you ever have anything else, I don't like what that guy did. I happen to be working on something else with a friend. Cause again, you got to have like 72 balls in the air. I said to my friend, Hey, I just met this guy. He, let's go bring him our thing. So he and I brought this thing. They bought it in the room, but then nothing ended up happening. My friend had an agent and they bought it in the room, but then they weren't doing anything about it. And so we talked to my friend's agent and said, can you like get on them? And I was talking to this agent and I said, uh, you know, here's how I know in the contact just to give you backstory so you can contact him. And then I said to this agent before I hung up, PS, would you ever read my South Park spec? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And he read it. He read it on a Tuesday called me and said I want to send it to Ann Garofino Matt and Trey he didn't know them he was just a hustler I said yes please he sent it on a Thursday and on Monday I was meeting Matt and Trey amazing so it's like again like sort of indirect from waitressing to all this like weird random but it's about being out there and just saying yes and meeting people that's what we do in the studio, all the connections. And even when people tune in to listen to this, it's a connection. And then if they come in the room with you or on Zoom with you on the next show you're doing, they can say, hey, I listened to you on the podcast. It's a connection. Mm-hmm. It's a connection of interest. Yeah. It wouldn't have happened if you weren't waitressing. It wouldn't have happened if you weren't in that, if you're just having that energy of forward motion. And, and I believe in yourself for sure. I hate to generalize, but I do feel like the there is a generation right now that they're just waiting for the success to happen and they're not getting in the trenches. And you've got to get in the trenches. You've you got to, you really do. Like so what would you say? What would you say to writers out there who are listening? Because I have a lot of actors who are doing both. And Lily, who's running this, is a, a wonderful writer too. What would you say to them to get in the trenches? How do they do that now? with Zoom and less, you know, people in person? What, what, what would be some advice? Well, I mean, I think the trenches are two things, right? The trenches are, first of all, you need to survive, right? Like okay. you need to have a comfortable life. Yeah. And you need to, and the way to have a comfortable life if you're not doing it in your chosen, desired, ultimate profession find what you can do to, to, to make your life comfortable. For me, it was always waitressing. Waitressing was an easy gig. It was a communal gig. I loved, I'm still in touch with all my waitress friends 20 years later. It was quick, easy money. You're meeting a lot of people. I have so many people who would come see me do stand up or just connections. I met a ton of producers, directors, everybody, everybody, little people along the way helped me 
So I would, I would say you need to have, you need to be comfortable. You need to have food. You need to have a roof over your head. You need to be able to pay your electric bill because the stress of all of that stuff will inhibit your creativity. So I do think the first thing is, and I, I just know way too many people who are just not doing it and they're stressed about money and they're not finding that you need a survival gig. You need something to, to, to make your life a little bit comfortable. And, and also not be embarrassed about it. Because I think a lot of people that are pursuing, you know, and having that secondary job, like even when there are wages and they don't want to let people know in it. And I think celebrate. Yeah. Because everybody knows out there that in the arts, you have to have a secondary gig to, you know, give you financial freedom. Yeah. And so, and yes, I just have to agree because I was a waitress in every deli in Los Angeles, all in my twenties when I was an actress and I was doing my thing and I loved it. I I loved it so much. It was joyful. It was busy. It was fast paced. It was, you know, connections with people, making people laugh, you know, getting stressed out, having a grand old time. So I, I love it. Money. money. There's, there's something about telling the universe, like I'm willing to be scrappy. Now that was my chosen way. I know a lot of people, like for me, my attitude was, I am only going to be in the business when I can be at the level that I want. That was, so I was willing to do all this like grunt work. I worked catering, I valeted cars, I was a waitress. I did all the grunt work because I wanted to get into the business here. A lot of people want to do like be a PA or be a writer's assistant or do that. Me, that was not my choice. I didn't want to be seen that way. I did not want to have work 60 hours for like $10 an hour. Like it's it's painful grunt work, but it is a viable way to move up the ladder. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be able to have like Waitressing, you work four days, you have three days off. So that gave me time to write. It gave me time to go to stand-up shows, to pursue my creativity and not be in service to somebody who's doing the job that I want. That was just my choice. And that's just your choice because a lot of people do move up by starting as a, a writer's assistant or a PA into getting into the writer's room to be the writer's assistant right. and, and all that. It's painful. But if you're passionate, I think you, at over, it's about making those connections, right? And then you befriend those people and then they yeah. read your thing. And then if you're good, you move up to the, on the, in the ranks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not a guarantee. And sometimes right. it doesn't work. But, and again, it just wasn't the way I wanted to do it. I didn't want to be seen that. I just, not my personality. I just couldn't do it. I'm not a like go in at eight before everybody and leave at, eight after everybody it's just not me I'm not that yeah. person I couldn't so what, do what do you so when people uh, that want to be writer's assistants and that what should they do should they have a great body of work should they be researching on IMDb pro uh, producers or executives getting in touch with them what is that process because I'm an acting coach I don't know that end I could give advice because I know things but I want to hear it from you well I would say I would say first and foremost, separate from whatever it is that you want to do. So, you know, I talked about like having a cushiony, comfortable life, making money somehow. If it is wanting to be a writer's assistant, let's put that aside for a second. 
I think no matter what, no matter what, whatever you're doing, you need to just be writing all the time. You just need to be writing. Writing, you can wake up. You don't need to wait for a casting director to call you on an audition. You can write right. every day. Right. It doesn't mean it needs to be good. It doesn't mean, mean that you need to show it to anybody, but you need to be working out that muscle and you need okay. to be writing every day. Right. And, um, and it, or, or making something, right? Or like going out with your friends. I would go out with my friends even like before everybody was making TikTok videos and Instagram and all that. I would, we would go out with cameras and be yeah. shooting little skitches, and sketches and skits I would write. <laughs> um, so you've got to be writing or creating. Just make art, make art, make art. And then as far as like actually get, if your desire is to be a writer's assistant, you know, I wish there was a cookie cutter answer for what it is. I think you've got to follow your own breadcrumbs and your own gumdrops. And I don't think two paths in this business are the same ever. Mm-hmm. I think you've got to really sit with yourself and, 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 and wake up and feel what it is that you're inspired to do and keep notes of it. I mean, I would keep notes of of every single person I would send a script to or send the video, you know, a, 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 my stand-up tape to, or, and I would keep notes of what they said. And usually it was like, oh, we haven't gotten to it. We're not interested. Call back next week. And if they said call back next week, I would write it in my book and right. call back next week. And my attitude was until they said no, which most people don't because they're afraid to, yeah. but, I would just say, hey, you said to call back next week. I'm calling back next week. And always they would say, no, sorry, I haven't gotten to it. And eventually they they were hoping I would go away and I wouldn't go away. Perfect. But that was for me. That's what worked for me because I'm not an invasive person. I'm not an aggressive person. I'm, I'm a strong-willed person and I go after what I want, but I'm not. In your I, face about it. You're, you're, well, you're, too, you're what I tell every actor to be, courteously aggressive. Yes. And good boundaries and, and have good boundaries. So to me, until I got a no, it was not a no, right? It just wasn't. It wasn't. Um, so I just think, I just think you've, I wish I knew yeah. I wish I a formula. I think you've got to just feel into what it feels like. I mean, I hear if I'm on a writer's message board and oftentimes there's, there's really, um, it is a lot of very successful writers on this. And a lot of times people will be like, Oh, I, my, my daughter's best friends with this woman who's moving out here to be, wants to be a writer's assistant. And so is it like, do you know somebody from your college that, you know, is working on a TV show? Do you, um, do, did you meet somebody at your waitressing job that you can follow up with, uh, can you, I mean, you can, you can easily find email addresses of agents and find your own organic way for me. It would say, I, you know, I'm sure you get a million of these emails every day. Uh, looking to be a writer's assistant. I have two scripts. Um, uh, would love to get your feedback of, of how, you know, how to, how to, yeah, whatever it is, Uh, but you know, do it that, what you feel, not what somebody else does. I used to always hear of, of actors who would go to casting directors and bake them brownies and bring them. I'm like, oh, that's so not me. I could never do that. No. That that's, me out. Yeah, that's so not me either. I just ask. I just would finagle as an actor, finagle my way in. Oh, I, I'm here. I don't know how I, yeah. I was auditioning next door and here I am at your studio, at your yeah. office. And they'd be like, oh yeah, come on in. 
because it was based on the personality and the friendliness factor. But yes, I totally agree with you. It has to be your own route. And let me ask you this, however, which way now? Um, and I do think writers out there can connect and, and, and compliment and compliments go a far, a long way oh. on Instagram and follow the writers you like, follow the executive producers, the showrunners, you know, everything mm -hmm. that you like and give a compliment because it gets in there. Don't DM them because you don't know them, but you get in there. And I think that a lot of people out there feel like they're rejected, but they're not, they're just not known. They're, they're not, people don't know you exist. Right. You have to get yourself into being seen, no matter what, with boundaries. I would say, even if you have, you're the most successful person, you're sort of invisible to everybody too, until you get your next job. Like nobody cares about your career as much as you do at any, any level. I don't care if you're any the level. top star. Nobody's caring about your career as much as you. They just don't. You yeah. need to be your own advocate and yeah. not uh, wait, not wait to be noticed. And then, and one other thing before I switch to your journey and how you became a showrunner, you know, and, and you just finished. Um, um, so in the old days, when you were writing, people were writing spectrum scripts, like you, like you said, everybody loves Raymond and that was the vehicle. So right. what is the information now? Is it your own stuff? Is it your own, um, you know, format is it your own short film. Is it a long film? Is it a television pilot? On 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 Shameless, we hire a lot of playwrights mm. um, because that's usually somebody who has a unique voice, right? Mm. We had a lot of playwrights. I was not a playwright. Um, everybody in the writers' room used to give me a hard time because I'm not a big. I don't love plays. Yikes! Mm. Wrong thing. Yikes! No. Oh, whoa. Ouch. That really hurt my heart. Go ahead. Um, but yeah, I think I think I I, I guess it's what, what what show are you targeting, right? Like if you're tar targeting, if you're if you feel like you're somebody who's an episodic television writer and you want to work on like CSI or SVU or something that's on CBS that's like very procedural, I would say probably writing a spec script of one of those shows is probably a good idea because it's not. Mm -hmm. I don't think those shows are looking for, you, you know, the, the, the sort of avant-garde. No, they want it very basic. One yep. man show. Like they want to see that you can deliver because it's all those shows are very formulaic. What's the, what's the teaser uh, and that you're hitting the act breaks and that you're hitting the, the formula of that. And those are very like, those are those, I know a lot of people who work on those shows. They're very, you know, they're, they're, they're good at what they do. So if that's what you want to do, then I would say write a spec script. If you want to, if you're looking, if you're trying to target something that's more. What if it was like, what if they were when Shameless is off the air after 10 years, but what if it was for Shameless? And what if it wasn't just theater, theater? What would you have the person do? Not write a spec script of an episode of Shameless. No. What would you have them do? Write something dark and edgy that resembles the, the, the energy of the show? I don't even think it should be dark and energy. I, I think anytime you're trying to emulate something, it's, I think you're getting yourself into trouble. We, we would have that happen a lot on, uh, especially on South Park where people would try to be really edgy and 
crude for the sake of it when really South Park actually is a was a very well crafted story driven character driven show brilliant Um, I think it's I really think it's it's yeah do write that pilot that you want to write your original piece write that that short film that you want to write write that short story that you want or a book like just show that you have a voice we looked for voices on shameless uh, voices unique voices yeah. not voices that could mimic our show but voices that were unique to themselves and that had an an understanding of of storytelling, of mm-hmm. beginning, middle, and end, of characters, characters, mm-hmm. characters, characters. So, yeah, I, I don't think, yeah, it's not, it's definitely, the days are long gone. I think I was definitely in a weird little bubble to write a spec of the show I wanted to be on. Yeah, was, I think that was for well, many years, though. That was how it was. I don't even know if it was. I mean, people, you would write a show similar, right? Like if you oh. wanted be on a sitcom you would write another sitcom but uh, the, the advice always was don't write the show that you want to work on mm. so everything's changing out there guys so i i my opinion write your own shit and make it so yeah. good yeah it's so good yeah. not to please anybody but because you know because obviously you knew your south park was so good mm-hmm. you didn't let that rejection get you down it did not sway you no, I knew. It almost it fueled you. You knew. I, and I think that when it's good, you guys, you know. Mm-hmm. So how did you move from South Park to moving up the ranks? What was your title when you first joined Shameless and you moved up to the very tippity top of it? How does that work? What's the process? Just let well, me uh, Huh? Go ahead. Yeah. I had never, I'd never really, after I did South Park, then I just did a lot of, I did a lot of development. I wrote a lot of pilots. Um, I wrote movies. I was on shows. So I never really was on another um, writing staff. And because the writing staff of South Park was very different than the typical writing staff, we didn't really have titles on there because it was actually a non-union show. So we didn't have. Oh, interesting. Yeah. A lot so of then them- after that, is that when you wrote the movie? Which, what was the movie called? starring Cameron Diaz Christina Applegate Selma Blair Thomas Jane amazing um I wrote it while we were on I always say I I wrote it I got paid on South Park to write the sweetest thing because we were because Matt and Trey were writing this our schedule is so erratic um that we would write a few episodes and then they would have to leave to go like write a movie. They, they were writing the, the South Park movie, but we oh. were still getting paid because contractually, I, I don't know, everything was kind of just messy and mishmashy. So for three months, I was still getting paid on South Park because they, they maybe they needed to do a rewrite or something. I kind of, I don't remember exactly now. So I was still getting paid, but not working. And then, so I wrote the movie. So yeah, I always say- What was it, did did it come in your, was it a a picture in your mind that you had resonating? Did you wake up one morning and- Waitressing, waitressing. waitressing. Fascinating. (laughs) Well, it was a couple of things. One, I was going on a lot of meetings with uh, a lot of producers who were, and the, the one I remember the most was I met with, I went up to Montecito, I met with Ivan Reitman. 
And uh, it was like 25 people at a table because all of his people that work for him, they, they're all in this the same space. And we're at a dinner, t- the, a lunch table, a big giant lunch table. He had like gold um, faucets in his bathroom. <laughs> and he wanted me to write, uh, like write the movie G- Gidget. It was like an old movie. Yeah. And he, mm-hmm. wanted, he got the rights to it and he wanted me to write it. And, um, and he was like, I'll write you a check right now. I want you to do this. And I'm sitting at lunch with all these people. And oh my I gosh. remember saying something and I knew it was like a fantastic situation and a fast, fantastic opportunity. And like that he was asking me to do this and said he would write me a check right then to write this. Oh my God. I felt like, I was like, well, you can't just, I mean, it's like dating, right? Like you can't say I want to marry you. You don't know who I am. You don't know like what my style is. And I don't know your style. Why did he say that? Why did he say that to you? Just from a lunch? Because I was kind of like the hot thing at the time because I was like the South Park girl who- Oh, got you. Okay, so you had a lot of energy, a lot of that positivity around you. Okay, go ahead. As they say. Yeah, heat. You were hot. You're still hot, but yeah. And I said, (laughs) I remember saying something like, well, I, I, you know, like, I don't even know if I knew the word tone back then, but like, or sensibility, or I just, I got the feeling that our tone and our sensibilities, you know, it's like Ivan Reitman, I think is amazing. And I like his work, but I didn't feel like tonally we were a match. And again, I didn't, I wasn't savvy or sophisticated enough to use the, the, those words or to find out like what, you know, to make sure we were on the same page, I guess. Before right, right. And, uh, you know, proverbial work dating, if you understand. <laughs> and so I said something like, okay, well, I would do it, but, I, and I don't know why I thought this. I said, but I want to be able to have a lot of fun with this movie. And I want to be able to write, I have a song in my head. I had this vision and it wasn't necessarily for this movie Gidget, but I had this vision of wanting to write a song on a subway with people saying that they had gonorrhea. And <laughs> in my mind, I thought it was very funny and I thought it was very like weird and abstract. And there were 25 people at the table were crickets. Again, once oh. again, crickets. Like oh. they didn't get what I was saying, didn't find it funny. They were like, what does this have to do with anything? They weren't even like trying to pretend to like, get what I was saying. And I, oh my God. Oh, yes, there's my answer. I <laughs> they don't think a song about gonorrhea on a subway is funny, then can't write Gidget. Yeah. So then I <laughs> I was having meetings like that and I thought, let me, it doesn't seem like I'm I'm meshing with anybody. So let me just write a movie to show people tonally what I want to write. So I was really thinking I was just going to write it as like a calling card to show people my voice. Cause I couldn't really articulate it in the room. Um, and I thought, let me put it on paper. And again, we had this, this sort of like paid break on South Park. So I was like, I'm just going to write this. And as I'm writing it, I'm like, Oh wait, I think this is going to be something. I think this oh. is going to be, uh, and basically I just wanted to write cause I was waitressing right before I got on South Park. And all the girls that I was waitressing with, we were kind of like this posse of mm-hmm. we were working up at on Sunset Plaza at one of those very like 
very European rich yeah. restaurants that yeah. only had female waitresses. And there were articles written about us at the time, you know, saying the Calvin Klein model waitresses. At oh my God. And it was like, I mean, we were making hundreds and thousands of dollars every week because people would come in and it was part like performance and part yeah. waitressing. Yeah. Um, and so I, I felt like there was something to write about that where these, and we would go to all these parties. And again, I went to that party that I got yeah. invited to. Um, and we kind of had a lot of like, even though we were waitresses and who's in control, right? Like the customer mm-hmm. or the waitress mm-hmm. going to the parties. I felt like at the time we all had a lot of game and we all had a lot right. of like, I remember going to, the Beverly Wilshire Hotel to one of the like Saudi princes room. Oh my God. We basically had the whole floor. And I remember like one room was just shoes he had bought on this trip. And that, I mean, we were just like, we were very much wined and dined. And I felt like we had a lot of um, power and like, we were, we kind of ran this little circle of. That's amazing. So what, how'd that come into the movie? So that's what you're well, the women were sort of like these three women that like yeah. I guess I had never seen women who I had only only at the time I'd only seen women like Allie McBeal was on at the time and 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 shows and movies where the woman was desperate for a man and I didn't see movies where women were like I'm gonna go to this party I'm gonna hook up with this guy if I feel like it and then I'm moving on to that so that's what I wanted to write because that's what was happening in my waitressing world was not that we were like sleeping around but we had a lot of like we had a lot of power I guess at the time that's amazing so then you wrote this film with you know based on some of the experiences and then what happened you just submitted it to your agent and they were like oh we're selling this what happened so what happened was I had I'd given it to one agent a film agent at the time. And he was pretty negative about it. Wow, of course. And I remember calling my TV agent saying, I know what I wrote was good. I know I'm happy to take some notes, but this agent was way too negative for me. And if he doesn't believe in this project and he doesn't believe in me, I don't want him on this project. So he must have talked. The TV guy must have talked to the film guy. Amazing. You had so much confidence. Yeah, I I knew. And I knew my my TV agents. I remember being in Florida visiting my brother. um, And uh, I remember being at the airport. And my TV agent said, this is really, really good. And um, and, uh, maybe he said he had some notes. Or he said he was going to give it to the film guy. So I did have that confidence boost but I did have I knew in my I I, I knew it in fact I, I I just knew it I just knew it I knew I was I just knew it I could feel it yeah, yeah. and so um so then I said if this guy isn't going to be on it he I don't want him on the team and so he did a 180 and then he 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 was on the team and so I uh, so I think that they had given me some notes and I did them over the weekend and I turned the script into them on a back into them on a Monday and I went into the office. I was at, it was Endeavor at the time and now it's WME. And 
and we, we were we were in a conference room and it was almost like they had the whole entire map of the city laid out on this conference room table with all of the um all of the different uh, studios and the different producers who had deals at the studios. And they were like, okay, we're gonna give it to this producer for this studio, this producer for this studio, this producer for this studio. Oh my gosh. 25 different people. And uh, it was just so overwhelming. And it was, it, was like, it was definitely like the magical Hollywood story. And I didn't really have a say because I didn't know who any of these producers were and I didn't right. know anything. Yeah. And so that was on a Monday um, and then they sent it out on Monday. And then um, on Tuesday morning, I got a call first thing Tuesday morning saying, we're starting to get some attention and, and people are starting to respond. No, I didn't really know what that meant. And I'll, I'll, this is, I was living in a studio apartment and I was, I was like, okay, and I went, there was a Ralph's grocery store nearby. Yeah. I actually right. walked and <laughs> left my phone in my studio apartment and walked. And I walked to Ralph's to get SpaghettiOs. <laughs> and while I was getting SpaghettiOs and I had left my phone, because again, I thought like this is going to take forever. They were calling me nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. Oh. And uh, uh, there was a bidding war. A bunch of different studios wanted the script. I didn't, all of this was on messages on my phone that I never got because I was buying SpaghettiOs. And I got home to a message where they said, uh, the final message was, we just sold your script for a million dollars. Oh, God. And I was like, oh, I just bought SpaghettiOs. Um, <laughs> and this was, that's a lot. Because what year was that? 2000, 2000. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it was a lot. And what happened was Amy Pascal, who was the head of uh, Sony Columbia Sony at the time, she, she was in the bidding war and she basically said to this film agent who at first wasn't on board. And then he was on board obviously, because he was negotiating. Mm -hmm. He he said to him, what will it take to take, get this off the table? And he just threw out, he said a million dollars and she said, okay. That is amazing. Hold, please. Let's put it on pause for a second. Mm -hmm. That's such an amazing story. That is so incredible. And that must have just been so exciting. And when they they attach all these actors that were so good. How exciting was that? You know, people always ask me, how did it feel when I sold it? And I have a weird answer. My answer is... My SpaghettiOs were burning. No. My SpaghettiOs were burning, and that was more important to me. No, my answer is I already knew it was going to sell. So I had already had the feelings. Ah, interesting. And that's a weird, I wish I have, I wish I could say that I have, could replicate that like mm-hmm. over these past 20 years. And I'm not sure that I ever have. I think. Oh, interesting. But I had already felt it, yeah. and I already knew. So the feelings. Yeah. And the feelings that you have inside of you of true knowing are far greater than the outside world validating you. And I know that's a really abstract thing. And I wish and I hope for everybody to have that feeling once in your life. And I wish I actually, I mean, it actually kind of is making me emotional. I wish I had that feeling uh, more or since 
because it then becomes and look, I, I don't, this is, I don't mean this to sound, I, I'm, I'm so grateful for my career and how, how much I've had and how hard I've worked, but there's something that the more success you have, the more it becomes in your head and less in your body. Mm-hmm. And because I had nothing to lose mm-hmm. when I, I was living in a studio apartment yeah. in videos, I had nothing to lose. So I could do whatever I wanted. Now, the more success the, the more stress, the more you're in your head, the more you're trying to please people, figure out what other people want, service a lot more. But do you have to be in that space or you, that's like a negative place to be? Because if you're really in the artistic creativity, the minute you're pleasing people, you're out of your own impulses. And yeah. so you pull yourself back in. What do you do when you get into that headspace? You just go, whoa, stop. I need to do art for my art's sake and tell the story that I want to say on this episode or whatever. Well, and, and I guess what you kind of start to learn or what I've started to learn was it, it especially when you're writing uh, under the gun on a show that is serving a lot of people, you're serving a lot of people, you're serving yeah. actors in the studio. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, my attitude became as long as I can get one thing in the script that feels like it came from here, mm. then I feel like I've accomplished something because when you're, it's hard it's happening to, so fast too, right? Yeah, it's totally. fast, And you, I mean, sometimes you do have to just connect the dots and paint by numbers when it comes to, when it comes to, uh, you know, the paid gig that, that, has to fit inside of a particular box like it's just so to me as long as I had that one weird thing that felt like it was you know that it was my god voice then I was okay with it like you have to you you kind of come to peace with that right you come to peace with uh and I think that's why some people don't do well in a writer's room or on a writing staff because they become so married to their ideas and their inspirations and their impulses. And it's sometimes that's not the voice of the show. And sometimes that's not what is needed. Sometimes you do need to, 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 it is a hard balance between artist and technician, I guess. Yeah. But you have to, just like in acting, you have to stay open and malleable. So sometimes, and you, not sometimes, all the time, you're, the scripts are changing. All mm-hmm. the time, there's another voice that's going to change it. You can't take it personally. You can't. But, and I think at any level, it's exciting to get your own words, even though it's a team, to get in there. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I just have to say, I'm not a writer, but my husband was writing a, a pilot for Judith Light years ago. And he's like, come on, just sit with me. And my one joke that I thought was so stupid got in the pilot. And I was like, Woo, this is the greatest day of my life. So excited. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So on Shameless, and, and I'm not going to go too long into it. So 10 years, 11 years, how many years? Yeah, we did 11 seasons. That is so amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's rare that a show lasts for so long yeah um so 
can we just say a quick day in the life for everybody that's learning um, about? Because a lot of people don't know. It's like a lot of people never get to be in the room. And of well, course, I want everybody out there to do everything you can to get to be in that room mm -hmm. for whatever length of time you get to be. And it does take hard work. And you're a freaking great writer, but it doesn't come without writing a lot, a lot, a lot. And acting a lot, a lot, a lot, and, and working that craft and being, you know, persistent and, and persuasive and passionate and all the P's, you know? So tell us what a day in the life. Like, do you want to have, how about a day in the life? Do you, do you want to hear about the audition process? Do you want to hear oh. about from my point of view? Yes. Love it. Because you were in the room, you made the choices. Yes, let's hear about the auditioning for the show Shameless. I love okay. that. Okay, good. Um, so I, I would say uh, the number one thing when you first walk in is to be, to present yourself in an open, friendly and professional way, but don't make a meal of it. Mm. And what I mean by that is the people who would come in and shake everybody's hand mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I need a moment and where, where, they're, where they're trying to pull too much focus and energy on themselves and they're making a meal of just the, the, the introductions, it, it unfortunately you've already cast yourself off the show wow. because it just shows us that you're going to, probably do that on set and on set you have to be a cog in the wheel your yeah. job is not to stand out we have the celeb you know like in our case we have bill macy and our our regulars to stand out your job is to enhance their performance mm -hmm. and to make our life easier so the person that comes in and says hi welcome i'm happy to be here where I'm ready to go, where would you like me to, where would you like, you know, ready, willing, able, that will yeah. stand out, I promise you. Right. Uh, then I would say, um, don't, and I'm sure you, you tell everybody these things, uh, don't, don't use the casting director's in any kind of have boundaries if you're going to use directors well now you're not in the room now you're on zoom so it's the same essence but okay I, I think that there are some that are starting to go back in the room but yeah okay so if you're in the room don't i've seen people do some offensive things to casting directors oh actually spitting on them to yeah. every six feet six feet always even prior to covid six feet back six feet, yeah yeah um, and I would, yeah, so maybe all of this is out the window if everybody's still doing Zoom. I thought like that. But it's, but it's okay because you have to still create that. You don't want to babble too much on Zoom. You want to get yeah. to the point. You want to be graciously open and then continue. It's the same yeah. thing. You're just not going to be able to touch, yeah. you know. Um, and I do think some are doing in person and we're going to be doing in person at some point, probably. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, maybe even for the bigger parts. Um I would say, obviously, be prepared and work with Sherry and make your choices. But the biggest, biggest thing is 
uh, once you've done it to uh, be open to notes mm. and to be, you, you have to be flexible and, and, and make new decisions and new choices on the fly if that's the note that we're giving you. Mm. And I'll, the, the two notes that we would constantly give on Shameless would be throw it away, throw it mm. away, throw it away, throw it away. Mm. Like conversational, throw it away. Um, and the other note, well, uh, I, I guess sometimes it would just be like, just make a different choice, you know, like, let's see, uh, and, and just being able to make a different choice. And usually the choice was a different emotion, right? A different yeah, emotion. Yeah. yeah. Um, and being able, so being able to adjust to the emotion and it's okay to ask questions, like, okay to say, I'm not sure I fully understand that. I, I'm, I'm happy to do it and I want to do it, but I really want to make sure I understand it. Yeah. Confident. That's a confident question. Yeah. So basically being very well prepared, don't milk the room, don't be overly eager. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think don't be like, thank you. Thank you. I think that's ridiculous because, you know, just say one, thank you. Thanks for being here. It's not, it's not like a big deal And to be malleable, to take those adjustments and then leave. Yeah. And And then then leave. Thank you. Yeah. And then go have some, you know, Spaghetti. Yeah. Yeah. With a friend. And let it go. And let it go. Okay. I adore you. And you're going to have to come back before we close out. And there's so much to talk about because you've been on Shameless. And I hope this was informational for everybody out there. Oh, look, the sweetest thing poster uh, behind you. Of course, I just noticed that being, you know, as, yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah, they were seeing a picture of the sweetest thing and Shameless. I'm so, you know, besides the fact that I love you and we are friends in real life and we just have bonded. Um, what are three things of advice you would give to actors and writers out there to keep pursuing and staying on a productive path? Any, any thoughts on that before we close out? Yeah, I would say, uh, I would say, find balance in your life. Um, you know, like I said before, I, I do think having a job and making a source of income, even if it's not in your chosen profession, just makes, it tells the universe that you're, you're willing to work hard. And it also just makes your life a little more comfortable. And along with that balance, I would say, find some kind of spiritual practice, whatever that is, you know, meditating from any kind of religion to meditating. Um, I would say uh, working out too. find ways to get out of your head. Um, I would say, you know, do your craft, uh, try to find some kind of like schedule for yourself to do it so that you're you're working it into your life, you know, so writing every day, even if it's just writing stories or creative emails, find a way to write. Or if you're wanting to be an actor, find ways to go shoot a funny video. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the third thing I would say would be, you know, it's show and it's business. Do as much of the 
the business part. Uh, and that for everybody is different. You know, is it going to class and workshops and going to see plays? Is it reading a bunch of scripts? Is it, is it contacting every Monday, contacting a different agent? Mm. Um, you, you know, take responsibility for your own career and take it into your own hands. And, and so I think those three things. The I think that's amazing. And don't, and I'm going to piggyback on and don't take, if they haven't said no, it's not a no yet. Yeah. And then if they do say no, just move on to keep finding your yes. Nancy, thank you so much for coming on today. I love you so much. Hope everyone is inspired by this and um, I'll see you in the neighborhood. Thanks, everybody. Stay courteously aggressive out there. Bye.